This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, one and all. Welcome back to the AirPod. It feels like I was with you just yesterday. Uh, it's been a very busy week for the royal family, and it feels like... Uh, and you might hear me say this later on in the show, but it is the thought of the day for me that the dust is finally settling on Harry and Meghan's departure from royal duties and uh, beginning their new life in Canada. We've heard very little from the couple this week. Uh, last week, we spoke a lot about the legal letter that the couple issued when paparazzi had harassed them out on Vancouver Island. This week, it seems like things finally getting a little quieter and ultimately that is exactly what they want um i think that they will remain like that for the days and weeks to come obviously there have been other stories uh, taking up the headlines this week which we'll be getting into in the show a little later on uh, prince andrew has continued according to reports to avoid questioning by the fbi i'll be talking about that with our guest this week uh, we've also had the Cambridges, Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall out at Holocaust Memorial events. We'll be talking about the meaning of that and why it's so important for members of the royal family to be involved in such important occasions. And, of course, uh, we have had the Cambridges out separately and together this week. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge continued her big push on her uh, five big questions survey across the UK. This is what she launched last week. Uh, it aimed to spark a conversation about raising the next generation of children. It's all very much part of her early years, uh, childhood development uh, work that she's involved with. Uh, she was at a school in London this week, a kindergarten, I believe, uh, where she visited children under the age of five years old to help serve their school meals. Uh, she actually helped out in the kitchen preparing all of the lunches that were brought out um, and it's always I think it's always great to see Kate around children I think it's a time when certainly I remember in the early days of her doing engagement she was always very nervous when it came to public speaking and perhaps a little shyer on some of the engagements uh, around other adults or officials and it was always around children that we would see her really come out of her shell. And while she has grown in confidence now, I think that's always going to be where she's at her most comfortable. And it makes sense. It's why she has chosen to focus uh, so fiercely on childhood development. And we'll see more engagements uh, from her in the weeks to come. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are also heading off to Wales in the UK uh, next Tuesday uh, to visit organisations and businesses at the heart of local communities there. I would say that this type of day out is very much a traditional royal away day it is the visiting community centers it is the cutting ribbons it is the wet wednesdays in random parts of the uk that royals are best known for and uh, i think it will be a day of four or five engagements 
Some of those are embargoed, so I won't go into them now. But I think it's, whilst it may be quieter now on the Sussexes side of things, we are seeing other members of the family uh, really step forward and, uh, I guess, work on uh, an even bigger stage. It'll be interesting to see how this will work out when the Sussexes are back at work. I think that uh, whether... People want it or not, the tabloids are going to pit them against each other and it's going to be a constant conversation about who's overshadowing who. I think there was something this week uh, where the couple merely posted something on Instagram and were already accused by British tabloid for somehow thwarting attempts by other members of the royal family to get their work out there. It's all part of the silliness and stupidity that goes on here. Um, But... I would like to shift gears for a second and bring on my guest for this week. Juliet Reedon is an editor at the Australian Women's Weekly. She's also a royal correspondent and author, including of a book that I will talk to you about shortly. We've gotten to know each other, haven't we, Juliet, over the years through royal tours? We certainly have. We've been hanging out there watching them. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like... uh, it's a quite a unique experience uh, going on these royal tours that a very few others sort of get to truly understand what it's like. A, a bizarre school trip of sorts. Very definitely a bizarre school trip. It's also <laughs> a bizarre form of, of journalism for all the other forms of journalism we do. There's nothing like being a royal correspondent, is there? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I feel also in some ways the rules are a little bit different when it comes to royal reporting because uh, I think it, whilst a lot of the daily coverage is based on the work of the members of the royal family, it's also heavily focused on their private lives and you know this year has pretty much revolved around the private lives of Harry and Meghan. Um, I feel like this is the first week that actually the dust feels like it's settling and we're able to see or or notice what other members of the royal family are up to as well. Yes, I mean, here in Australia, certainly, I've seen them drop out of the headlines a bit, which is no doubt what um, Harry and Meghan were after, a little bit of peace, a Mm. calm after their storm. Um, But also, uh, you know, a few mentions of them starting life in Canada and potential ideas about what they might be up to. Yeah, I I feel like this the, the beginning of this year... It's been quite dramatic for the royal family. I don't think that the press has been particularly positive for the start of the year as well. I think that now that people are starting to dissect and analyse the sort of reasons behind Harry and Meghan making the moves that they wanted, uh, the royal family probably, or correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like there may be some damage control to do as the months go by. And now that Prince Andrew's story sort of is coming back into light... Um, it's going to be some time, I think, before uh, the royals get to sort of bask in the glory that usually comes with uh, with sort of coverage of the royal family. Yes, I agree. I mean, I, I think that uh, the stories that we've been looking at, obviously Harry and Meghan leaving Prince Andrew, um, that they're not the sort of things that uh, the royal family would like us to be talking about. Um, I mean, here in Australia, there has been a lot of support for Harry and Meghan's departure. I Mm. think there's a a basic understanding of two young people wanting to control their lives and wanting to do their own thing. And they don't, you know, Australians don't really 
understand why that would be such a big deal. And that is what I'm asked about <laughs> most um, when, when, I, when I talk about what has happened. Most people um, say, well, what is, the, what is the deal here? You know, what, why can this couple not choose to do their own thing? You know, it's not such a bad thing that they're doing. Everything that we have seen them do has been to try and make a difference in the world. Why can't we allow them to do that? That's very interesting. I think here in the UK, there's still this sense of uh, how dare they? How dare they sort of break away mm. from the royal family and, and treat the Queen in this way or or however else it's being portrayed by the tabloids? Um, but as you say, this is a story that essentially boils down to a young family looking for the best environment to thrive in, but also to work in. And that work, I think, will be exactly the same as the work we've been seeing them do up until now. I said this before, but I think in six months' time, we're going to look back at sort of this year and all the work that Harry and Meghan have done and realise that things haven't actually changed that much. They're still them. They're still doing the same things. Yes. Um, I mean, I suppose I'm just thinking about this now, and there is a little bit of a synergy um, between what ha Harry and Meghan's relationship with the royal family and Australia's relationship with the royal family. Mm. You know, we have... We have a sort of half in, half out um, <laughs> proposal, I guess. You know, we have the Queen as our, our constitutional monarch, as our head of state. The royal family is our royal family. But we don't see them here in the same way as Britain does. So, um, you know, we're very much at arm's length and we do our own thing and we run our own government, of course. Mm. And um, should should the royals step in and try and um, change that, then no doubt there would be lots to be said about it. But, um, yeah, so we, we kind of feel like we've got the best of both worlds and um, maybe Harry and, Harry and Meghan should be allowed a bit of that as well. <laughs> Do you think that <laughs> this move uh, for Harry and Meghan will change uh, Australia's... Um, views on the royal family obviously we know in the past there has been sort of a growing republican movement uh, that sort of began to fade somewhat when uh, William and Kate came over for that tour with Prince George when he was very young and ever since then I think the royals have been in enjoying a sort of uh, another period of, of support and, and positive coverage since then but has recent events made people reflect or change their views on on the royals over there look the the queen here is incredibly popular there's a deep deep sense of affection she came here in 1954 the there are still many people who have um who were there watching that tour um you know three quarters of the population turned out to see the royal couple so um i don't think anything will happen whilst the Queen is uh, is still the monarch. Mm. But having said that, it's, the young royals are very, very popular here. And the idea that we have lost Harry and Meghan from visiting regularly, which is essentially what will happen because it will be too expensive for them to fund their own visit here. And um, I, I don't know that there's a, a lot of reason for them to come here if they're not working royals. Um, yeah, that that will definitely affect the popularity here because we won't we won't see them in the headlines linked to Australia, and and that is what is important with regards to uh, having them as our monarchy, because we we want to feel that they're a part of us as well. Um, mm. Now they've turned into something separate from Australia, um, not linked to us. Yes, of course, of, of 
massive interest in the headlines, but not Australian royals anymore. That's interesting because I, I've noticed in the last few years, uh, certainly in the mainstream press, the majority of coverage, I'd say a good 80 or so percent of the royal coverage seems to have been focused solely on Harry and Meghan. When you remove that from the mix, does that mean that perhaps uh, press coverage of the royals will be quieter over there moving forward or will we will the media start to look uh, back at other members of the royal family again and will the Cambridges sort of have their sort of moments back in the spotlights uh, like they did many years ago? I think that the Cambridges will have a new moment in the spotlight. I mean, it started happening already. Certainly the Duchess of Cambridge is is very popular here. We see her um, in the headlines a lot in a a very positive way. There hasn't hasn't been any negative things to say about the Duchess of Cambridge at all. And her, um, you know, she's, she's kept... Um, very much in the background there um, as uh, a very stalwart member of the Cambridge um, court. But um, the other thing here is that Prince Charles is, is I think, growing in, in popularity. He's got his um, Prince's Trust here, which is, you know, in its nascent days, but, but growing and doing work on the mm. ground. So he has got a foothold here in Australia. That's interesting. I wanted to sort of go back to perhaps the start of the year um, and just the coverage that we've seen on Harry and Meghan's departure as working members of the royal family. Do you what? What are the reasons? Do you think that uh, motivated them to make this move? I think we've seen so much speculation everywhere, and although we've heard some words from the couple here and there, and their statement was quite clear. What What do you think were the central themes that that forced this to happen? I think they want to do their own thing. Um, you know, I think I think there are a couple of strands. There's the, there's first the strand that Harry wants to protect his wife and son from the glare of coverage that he experienced as a child. He does not want that for them. And he started to see it happening and he didn't like what he saw. He's made that perfectly clear. Um, I think the naivety is that that will ever go away, of course. Um, And if he steps out of the royal family, as he has, he does release that protection that he gets from being within the royal fold. Um, But I think the main the main strand for me is that they want to do their own thing in their own way. And that is hard to do within Mm. the Royal family, within the strictures of the Royal family. You know, they're not, they're not the monarchs. They're not the um, heirs, you know, Um, Harry is, they're not the heir apparent. I mean, Harry is sixth in line and, Therefore, he's, he's lower down the pecking order and has to take his turn. And they've got big ideas, this couple. They, they mm, want to do mm. big things and they're not being able to do it. They feel they're not being able to do it in the way they want to do it within the normal royal structure. They're now 3,000 miles away from where they used to live. But of course, they still <clears> have to deal with some of the issues that perhaps they may have wanted to get away from and that in particular is the press or the tabloid press we've seen them struggle with the paparazzi over on Vancouver Island um, they've had to issue a legal warning do you think that that may die down now or do you think that this is a uh, going to have to be their new normal and new issues to contend with I think it is going to have to be their new normal you it, 
I think that, you know, they, they complained bitterly about um, the coverage they were getting in Britain. But there there is this unspoken agreement between the British newspapers and the royal family that they will not buy these paparazzi pictures. And, mm. you know, the paparazzo are, are out there for every celebrity and every high-profile individual, but the only way they make money is to sell those pictures. And in Britain, those pictures couldn't be sold. But now, you know, all, all bets are off and there is a hungry media out there wanting to buy those pictures and they will buy them in America, they will buy them in Europe, um, you know, possibly they will buy them here in Australia. We we have a policy of not doing that on the Australian Women's Weekly, but there are many other publications who will buy those pictures and will print them. Um, you know, we there is not that relationship that uh, the, the royal couple <coughs> had with the, the British newspapers. And I think they will feel that harsh glare um, is going to be even harsher over there. What's the coverage been like in Australia compared to the UK? Has it been quite similar to the treatment that they've had here? Uh, look, the, the balance is, is, it depends which publication you are reading. Um, but uh, I, I think that there has been a little bit more of an understanding of them as a as a royal, as a young couple wanting to do their own thing, I think there has been more appreciation of that. I think there has been less of this knee-jerk, "How dare they? They're, they're leaving um, England. They don't like us. Um, they're leaving the royal family. That's that's an insult to the Queen." I think there has been less of that and more of a basic understanding that as young people that they want to be able to control their lives and I think that's because we are at a distance. As I said earlier I think the dust is now beginning to settle on this story and and as you say I think hopefully the couple will get this sort of time to adjust to their new lives and also um, have a few moments away from the public eye. This week, we've seen all the members of the royal family out and covered uh, by the press around the world, um, particularly for Holocaust uh, memorial events. It's obviously 75 years this year, and we've seen Prince Charles, the Duchess of Cornwall, the Cambridges, all attending different events in different parts of the world uh, to commemorate the day. We saw the Duchess of Cambridge also take on a photography project uh, that had been quietly happening in the background. Did this get much coverage over there? Yes, it got a good deal of coverage over here. Um, We um, have a lot of Holocaust survivors who came to Australia um, after the war. So, uh, it's it's a big deal here and um it was good to see that coverage with the royal family taking um quite a center stage i think um leading those memorial events um i mean the duchess of cambridge's photography project um came a bit out of the blue for me um Mm. uh, that wasn't something i was expecting i don't i didn't really see the link between the duchess of cambridge and um the Holocaust memorial um, idea, but it, you know, it was it was a beautiful picture, and it was good to see her in there with that very thoughtful project. 
Mm, it was two photographs uh, released by Kensington Palace um, that saw Kate uh, with Yvonne Bernstein and Stephen Frank, two survivors uh, who, along with their three of their grandchildren, met Kate earlier this month at Kensington Palace. Um, and they were uh, very tastefully done photographs. Kate uh, said that she was actually inspired partly by reading the diary of Anne Frank. And so she had found uh, Bernstein and Frank's stories to be very moving and that was what uh, got her interested in doing a project like this. I would go as far as saying that we've seen Kate perhaps display a bit more confidence in some of the things that she's doing at the moment because I don't think we would have seen Kate do something like this a few years ago perhaps because uh, there's more room on the stage now Uh, but also I think that she's had more time to settle into the role and, uh, and and adjust to things. Yeah, I think she's spreading her wings a bit as well. You know, we've um, we've seen her emb- embracing projects that she's passionate about, but also, you know, here photography is um, a passion of of hers, and uh, it's it's good to see her uh, out there using that passion. I want to continue the conversation with you. We're going to take a short break, and I'll return. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We also saw Prince Charles in Israel at the World Holocaust Forum. And I think that for me was probably the most powerful of all of the engagements uh, that royals were involved in this week, uh, because we heard from him himself. He gave a very passionate speech, uh, warning about the hatred and intolerance that still lurks in the human hearts. And this was obviously at the event marking 75 years. I just want to take a quick listen to that speech now and then I'll come back to you. The lessons of the Holocaust are searingly relevant to this day. 75 years after the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau, hatred and intolerance still lurk in the human heart, still tell new lies, adopt new disguises and still seek new victims. All too often, language is used which turns disagreement into dehumanization. Words are used as badges of shame to mark others as enemies, to brand those who are different as somehow deviant. All too often, virtue seems to be sought through verbal violence. All too often, real violence ensues and acts of unspeakable cruelty are still perpetrated around the world against people for reasons of their religion, their race, or their beliefs. Knowing as we do the darkness to which such behavior leads, we must be vigilant in discerning these ever-changing threats. We must be fearless in confronting falsehoods and resolute in resisting words and acts of violence. We must never rest in seeking to create mutual understanding 
and respect. We must tend the earth of our societies so that the seeds of division cannot take root and grow. And we must never forget that every human being is Betzalem Elohim, in the image of God. And even a single human life is Keolam Malay, like an entire universe. Passionate and heartfelt words from the Prince of Wales there. Um, you obviously followed this closely. Um, your book, The Writing on the Wall, uh, tells the story of uh, one boy, your father, um, and how he survived the Holocaust. I've actually been reading it uh, very recently, and it's a beautiful, moving account that I'm, I'm really enjoying. When you heard Prince Charles's speech, um, what were your thoughts? Um, it's, I think it's been a while since we've heard Prince Charles speak so openly about something like this. Um, and, and being so sort of at the centre of such um, an important memorial event. Yeah, I mean, I think Prince Charles um, is always good in these situations. Um, it, there's, a, there's a sense of authenticity when he speaks. Y- you and I both know that he often speaks off the cuff. He, he has his notes there, but he, he rarely follows them. And... Um, then he he really speaks from the heart, and it's something he clearly knows about. Obviously, he talked about his um, his own uh, grandmother and her role there in the Holocaust, um, helping um, hide some members, uh, some some Jews during the war, Princess Alice. Mm. Um, but it, it's he really does come into his own as a as a statesman we really can see the sort of king he's going to be when he gives these wonderful speeches um and for i think uh survivors of the holocaust for family members of survivors and family members of victims of which i am one um uh, it really did stop me in my tracks and uh, uh you know i i felt it was very poignant I think the when we the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge uh, also pay tributes um, mm. not only by uh, posting on various social media, but they also uh, lit candles um, alongside genocide survivors at the International Holocaust Memorial Day event in London. I think the central theme to all of these engagements was really remembering the stories of those lives lost and those who survived and. You and I were talking just before we we did the show this week, um, just about how important it is to remember those stories. Because as people get older, we become dangerously close to losing some of those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it was uh, it was a particularly poignant week. I mean, seeing those um, survivors walk through the gates at Auschwitz-Birkenau too. I went there myself. I walked under those gates. I found, I discovered recently that five members of my family were murdered in Auschwitz. Um, A particularly uh, terrible one was my great aunt, Eliska Hoffer, and her, who's, was um, taken into the gas chambers naked, holding on to her three-year-old daughter, Vera. And, you know, I'm, I can, those are very vivid images to me uh, when you go to Auschwitz and they came back to me this week. And I know that that will be the same for every 
survivor, every member of family um, of a victim. And um, you can't underestimate those stories, you know. Um, Since I wrote my book, I have every day I hear from another survivor or another member of family of a victim and they all want to tell me their stories and every story is unique and every story is extraordinary and every story is is very very tragic Um, and the reason that they want to tell me is um, because they're scared that this situation is going to be forgotten that Mm. when they die because they're all they're all old now of course it's the last generation of survivors yeah we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz but um yes this is the last generation and they think that when they die we will forget about it they're all scared about the um holocaust deniers out there that are gaining ground they're all scared about the growth in anti-semitism around the world they see it happening again and they think that when they die they will not um be you know these stories will not be heard and they're very, you know, pleased with me for writing my book um, mm. and getting that out there. And um, they want to know that when they go, these stories will continue to be told. In the writing on the wall, um, it obviously tells a very brave and emotional journey that you went on to discover uh, some of the secrets um, that were within your family for so long. Was that a tough experience for you because even for me reading it I found myself quite tearful actually at times just at the way in which things unfolded and were revealed to you it's I think for 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 one person and uh, reading the book it, it feels like you're sort of on your own in this journey um, it felt like a lot for one person to go through. Look, it was a very emotional journey for me. I mean, what happened um, was that I I never knew that I had this huge, huge family on both my grandmother's side and my grandfather's side who were then all killed in the Holocaust. And I, I had no idea they existed. My father managed to escape as an eight-year-old from Prague. He went on a, a an airlift, a kinder transport that was organised by Christian, uh, a Christian mission in the UK, a very little known transport that saved 68 children. And my father was one of those children. But he had to leave his parents and he basically never saw his father again. Um, and he came to England and started a new life. And it was it was very difficult for him. And he never spoke about this family that he had that were killed. And I discovered them because I saw their names written on the wall of a memorial in Prague. And there was my name reading. And I looked them up. And these people were my family. This was my great aunt, my great uncles, their children on the wall. And I had no clue. And so I started on this long journey of discovery and found that there were 17 members of my family who were murdered in various camps, uh, death camps around Europe by the Nazis, um, all in different ways, all in horrific ways. Some of them, you know, shot when they were naked in front of a pit um, in in parts of Eastern Europe. It was it was a very very emotional journey. But what I found at the end was that, you know, the 
Hitler wanted to wipe out my family. And he he didn't manage that because here I am, there mm. my father was, I have a family um, out there saying, no, you didn't manage it. We are here. We are the survivors and we're doing well. So it it felt very uplifting in the end, even though it was a very tortuous journey. How important do you think it is for members of the royal family to be involved in um, remembering events like this? I, I think in some ways for me, this is the this is what the royal family does best, which is uh, getting involved in uh, important issues that aren't there are humanitarian related, not political. Um, and and doing what they can to amplify the stories of those um, that may not have been heard before. I think it's very important. And I think in some ways, you're right, this is what the royal family is for. Um, You know, you say they're not political issues. They they can be construed Mm. as very political issues, especially in in the instance of anti-Semitism around the world, and especially in the instance of what is happening in Israel at the moment. So um, it is difficult sometimes for political figures to get involved because they feel that they are making a political statement that perhaps they don't want to make. But the royal family can can certainly get involved and have done so, I think, very poignantly and very thoughtfully in the last couple of weeks. And you know, you you and I both know that this. We knew this was coming because mm. we we were given the information and told that they were going to be involved. But when I saw that, I thought, I, d- I don't really know what this is going to look like. I don't I don't really understand. And then when I saw, you know, it all kick off with Prince Charles's amazing speech, I realised that this was actually going to be very powerful, and it was very important that the royal family, who of course are not are not Jewish, um, were out there supporting, um, amplifying stories, um, saying, you know, this isn't just about um, the Jews in the world. This is about us. This is about us as human beings. This is about humanity. This is about how we go from here and what we learn from this absolutely hideous genocide. So, Julia, I feel like I'm quite lucky to have you this week because... We have really focused on the Sussex story for, you know, the past month. It has dominated the royal headlines. Uh, This week, it feels like we're able to really see the variety of stories uh, that usually we deal with when it comes to the royal family. I can't talk to you about royal affairs without going into the issues surrounding Prince Andrew at the moment, who was thrust back into the headlines after FBI agents claimed that he had avoided um, or ignored requests to cooperate with uh, the ongoing inquiry and investigations in the US. Uh, Buckingham Palace would not comment, uh, but sources close to the palace did brief (laughs) some of the British papers to say that Prince Andrew wasn't aware of any requests to speak with authorities. How big a play is this story getting over in Australia at the moment? Oh, it's getting a big, a big play. You know, this is this is the story that won't go away for the royal family. This is the one that is very, very damaging. Um, you know, we we over here cannot understand why Prince Andrew is not out there talking to the FBI, clearing his name if he thinks that, you know, he's he is uh, totally innocent and that he's got nothing to answer. He needs to get on the front foot so you know 
obviously the optics suggest that there's there's something there and um you know we we want that out in the open um you know prince andrew also uh, having stepped back from his royal roles now there are a lot of questions to be answered there mm. why is he still living in royal property you know what what is he doing now what is he still getting a wage you know all those issues that came up with the financing of the sussexes are valid also with the financing of prince andrew yeah it's interesting you mentioned that and there was actually a, a tweet that um, was going around this week. Uh, I don't know who wrote it, um, but it certainly gained a lot of traction. Uh, I would go as far as saying it was viral. And it described uh, one prince who was forced to give up his HRH titles and uh, to no longer be a working member of the royal family and repay the cost for his five-bedroom home and be stripped of his military honours uh, simply for wanting freedom. And on the other side was a prince who uh, has denied uh, any uh, wrongdoings, but certainly been friends with a convicted paedophile and uh, now is refusing to speak with authorities, according to reports, uh, who is still living in his 30-bedroom property, a taxpayer-funded property here in the UK, uh, still is an HRH, still has his military titles, and uh, is not technically officially off his royal duties. He is certainly, I think the way the panelists described it was he was off for the foreseeable future. But there was a story in The Sun mm-hmm. this week that said that uh, the palace were actually looking to bring him back into the fold or hoping to at some point. But obviously, recent events are now making that difficult. Why do you think there is this uh, discrepancy here? What is, why is it sort of one set of rules for one and, and not the other? Well, I mean, that is the question that is being asked, <laughs> and I do not know the answer. Um, you know, I think this is this is something that the royal family need to look at very closely because this is the one that will damage them. You know, Harry and Meghan wanting to go off and do their own thing and live in a country that is nearer to where Meghan is from is really not such a big deal as Prince Andrew still being a member of the royal family who is not for the foreseeable future going to work Mm. receiving funding um and you know that is a very basic problem i think it's interesting this week i found the palace were a lot less forthcoming when it came to commenting or guiding on this story i think in the past um there had been some trickle of information or updates that would come from his office at Buckingham Palace. Uh, This week, the guidance that any reporter uh, or correspondent was getting was that it was a matter being dealt with by Prince Andrew's lawyers. Um, And when questions were asked about who those lawyers are, uh, the answer was no comment. Uh, It feels Mm -hmm. like the palace may finally be distancing themselves from Prince Andrew and this story because they were very much at the heart of it, uh, whether they liked it or not. Uh, When we last left this story, um, when he had done the interviews with BBC's Panorama. Yes, I mean, I suppose the thing from the palace's point of view about this story is that it's a 10-year-old story um, mm. that just keeps on coming back and they and they thought that they had dealt with it and that it was 
back it was in the past um and they you know managed to keep prince andrew working and front and center but then of course it came back uh by their own <laughs> by prince andrew's own hand with that mm. disastrous interview um and now it, there's something that can't be erased and certainly here in australia um i think that we feel that prince andrew can't be brought back into the fold as a working member of the royal family. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds over the days ahead. And I think the reason why it keeps coming back is because it is a story that never gets to end. And I think the only Mm -hmm. person that can really bring that to an end is Prince Andrew himself. Juliet, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show this week. Do come back. And uh, guys, if you're listening... Uh, The Writing on the Wall, Juliet's fantastic book, is available to buy now uh, at all good book outlets. Um, And I'm sure we can expect more from you in the future as well. Thank you, Omid. You can pick up Juliet's book, The Writing on the Wall, um, from any good book outlet out there. I do thoroughly recommend it, especially given the themes that we discussed in the show this week. That just about wraps us up until next Friday. Thank you again, guys, for all the wonderful comments and tweets that you send over do if you haven't uh, make sure to subscribe to the show so you can be the first to hear it every week and go on and leave us a nice little review on itunes or wherever you check in to listen every week because it does help us out massively Uh, if you want to tweet me just use the hashtag the airpod and as always i want to say a big thank you to leighton schneider mike debusky and anthony alley in new york for helping put the show together i couldn't do it without you guys Uh, until next friday do take care of yourselves i hope you enjoyed the show and i will see you then